The XY Advisor podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. XY Advisor does not hold an AFS license nor provide any financial services. Before making investment decisions, you should obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. Financial advisors help Australians live better lives, and we're great at it. But what about us? For us to thrive in the coming years, I'm here to ask a very big question. How can we live better, run better businesses, and help more clients along the way? My name is Jessica Brady, and I would love for you to join me as I listen and learn from experts who answer these very big questions. I am lucky enough to record most of my podcasts on Gadigal Land. This podcast is brought to you by Challenger, who believe in providing customers with financial security for a better retirement. Challenger's lifetime annuities provide different payment solutions to suit your client's financial circumstances and needs. For income certainty, they can choose CPI indexed or fixed payments. Alternatively, they can choose to have payments linked to changes in the RBA cash rate or investment markets. Challenger can provide your clients with a monthly income for life, so they can enjoy today knowing they'll always have income in the future. This week's guest is Adam Crabb. He's a risk strategy specialist at Zurich. But I wanted Adam to talk about something that happened in his life that was pretty dramatic and how advisors can help people when something unexpected occurs in their life. It was quite fascinating and I left the conversation with my mind buzzing with ideas of how we can support better conversations and make sure our team are trained to pick up on cues and help think outside of the box. Um, I hope you enjoy today's chat. Hi, Adam. Hi, Jess. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm doing well. Actually, really well. Thank you. That is very, very good to hear. And it'll make more sense as we go through the conversation today. Why I asked that with a little bit of a pause in the beginning. I I feel like I always say this because it's true, but I think we're in for a fascinating conversation today. Before we get into the really specific reason as to why I wanted to have you as a lovely and esteemed guest for today's podcast, for the people that don't know you, Adam, maybe you can help them learn a little bit more about you and help us know what is your story. I'd be happy to do that. So I am a bit of an insurance nerd, Jess. I hate to admit that, but it is true. So love life insurance, love advice. And those two things have really stepped me to where I am today, which is, you know, official business card says risk strategy specialist, but I kind of create content um, all around life insurance and advice and sort of bring that to the fore at PD Day's conferences. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that for a number of years and loving it. So let's learn a little bit more about Adam. So that's your work life. Yes. Tell us a little bit about sort of your other life. Presumably you have another life. I know you have another life. Tell me a bit about that. I do. So I am uh, married. In fact, just celebrated my, gosh, 23rd wedding anniversary, which is ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. Um, Congrats. Wow. Thank you. I have um, four delightful children. Um, uh, They are four teenagers and... So having a job that involves travel is fantastic at the moment. I don't have to be around. No, but they're, they're, they're wonderful. Um, yeah, eldest is currently 19, youngest is 
13 going on 14. So there's a lot of attitude around the house. Um, but, you know, we, we have it pretty good in that regard. Uh, I have two um, fur pets uh, as well, love dogs. And, um, yeah, that's kind of my life outside of, outside of work. You have four teenage children. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, yes. my God. And you had four children. I didn't realise they were all teenagers. Mm. Wow, what a time you must have had over the last few years. <laughs> oh, mate, COVID has, uh, has definitely taught us a few things. Patience is one of them. And I think anyone out there that is thinking about kids or has kids and like surely it gets better with age, I think the short answer to that is uh, no. Um, but I'm told it will improve eventually. <laughs> Just spreading hope early in the conversation today, Adam. Well done. Thank you. All the people that are like struggling with toddlers, learning that actually in 10 years' time, it's not going to be much easier. Thanks, yes. Adam. One thing you haven't mentioned, though, is that you quite like riding a motorbike. I do. I do. I think it's important that we all do something outside of work, outside of family and mm. I know you probably got a question a bit later on for me around what's good for mental health, but honestly for that, it is that it's, it's motorcycle riding. It's something I kind of fell into. I was a kind of commuter here. I'm in Sydney and, you know, did for many years, you know, buses and trains and getting to the office and one afternoon, it was a three hour trip from door to door. And I, I remember getting home saying to the wife, look, enough's enough. I've, there's mm. got to be a better way of doing this. And, um, I have motorcyclists in the family and uh, my brother and uh, my stepfather and we just thought, well, why not do it? Why not give it a go? So I was a bit late to the motorcycling. I've been doing it for years now, uh, but certainly not something I did when I was young. And once I started, it was like an addiction. What happened? <laughs> so, yes, um, often I think one of the best bits of advice I got when I first started was you're going to come off at some stage. Um, mm. Generally, you sort of brush yourself off and pick yourself up and off you go. But mm. yeah, that, that wasn't my experience. So mm. I was I was actually on holidays, on annual leave, and it was a beautiful sunny afternoon. Um, so I decided to just go for a, a quick blat, um, quick ride, and uh, was going, I was only five minutes from home actually. Oh. And even the police are not quite sure what happened. So um, I didn't pass out, didn't black out. But going through a roundabout, um, police believe I may have been nudged. Um, all the traffic was going in one direction, but still not quite sure. Uh, next thing I remember is um, coming into contact with the ground um, on my back initially, then on my front rolling and seeing my bike doing flips next to me and uh, ended up um, kind of on the side barrier. And uh, as I didn't black out, I remember everything. I remember people coming up to me. I remember the excruciating pain. Mm. Uh, I remember the fun ambulance trip, which then became a intensive care ambulance trip because they mm. kind of leaned me forward, took a look at my back and realized that there was some, some damage there. And uh, the Ambo, I remember he saying to me, oh, I'm going to give you something now. And um, you're not going to remember much after that. And he was right. It was... I can't remember what it was, but it was some form of opioid and it was not pleasant. I just yeah, remember, right. you know, seeing things and hearing things. But, um, yeah, so what I managed to do, Jess, was um, once I got finally got to hospital, I had um, um, shattered my right scapula, so my right shoulder blade. Um, I had broken seven ribs, uh, punctured oh. and collapsed lung. 
a little bit of blood getting in as well. Uh, yeah, so they quickly did some scans, got me up to the high dependency unit. And um, yeah, I spent, uh, look, I only spent a week in hospital. Um, mm. and that's because my beautiful wife is not in paid work. She works very hard at home looking after mm-hmm. the kids. Thank you for being very specific about not being in paid work. She's at work. But she does. Thank she you. Hard. I just want to be very clear on calling that out. Definitely, definitely. She works really hard. And, um, yeah, she was able to support me outside of work because I was, like from insurance speak, I was totally disabled for mm. um, a period of about seven to eight weeks. I couldn't really do anything. Um, anyone listening that's had broken ribs will know that anything you try and do is debilitating, whether it's sneezing, coughing, talking, breathing. Mm. Yeah, uh, everything. So I kind of made a bit of a mess of myself. You did. You really did. And so why I wanted to have you on today's chat is, as you have already pointed out, you come from a life insurance background. Ironically, you do something that many underwriters would shiver at, which is ride a bike in Sydney. Um, And then you had this pretty spectacular accident that was debilitating for a long time. And you're talking about the period that was sort of that acute phase, but and I want to sort of get stuck into a bit more around how advisors can support people when they go through this, but no doubt there was a much longer journey to recovery if you ever will be fully recovered from this. Yeah, definitely. I It was a weird period, Jess. I remember uh, and being in hospital, I have a lot of time to think and mm-hmm. just question what you're doing. And uh, yeah, uh, the journey piece was was a topic one and I'm happy to sort of you know step you through that um in this particular podcast but I think what what was one of the 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 surprising things of the whole event was when I was I don't know maybe three weeks in um was back at home that stage um hardly even walking one of the first questions I said to my surgeon and I remember the words just sort of spilling out of my mouth not really thinking too much of it was how soon can I get back on the bike (laughs) Which you might think is like, it's nutso, right? But yes, it's such a weird thing. Like, And I think this is something that advisors really need to be mindful of is if you are ever engaging with a customer, a client, mm. and you're suddenly questioning what they're doing, whether it's occupation, whether it's outside of work, there's that logical piece which may suggest that you need to say, well, you know what? You need to stop doing that and do something else, something a bit lower risk. But mm. when you think about, what makes people tick and, you know, what is good for someone's mental health can involve different levels of, I suppose, risk. Um, Mm. And for me, yes, mine's on perhaps the higher end of the risk spectrum, but I think not being able to do that would be detrimental to my mental health longer term, um, short of finding something else to do. But um, you think about whether it's playing soccer, whether it's, you know, Mm. hitting this tiny little golf ball, you know, hundreds of yards into this tiny little hot, like those sorts of things. Some people might say that is what they love to do. Others might think it's crazy, but Mm. um, there is something I think that advisors need to kind of consider in all of that, that sometimes when even things go wrong, people will either want to jump back on the horse or in my case, back on the bike. Mm. And I think advisors need to be mindful that they may have to actually consider partnering with them through that journey. I've never thought about that in that way. (laughs) Did you find that everyone was very unsupportive when you were trying to get yourself back on the bike? That's a great question. One I'm not actually asked very often in because of what I do. Yeah, you would often think that 
perhaps a, a close support network might be like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Um, I'm very fortunate. My wife very early on recognized and said, look, yeah, you know, I'm happy to support you getting back on the bike. She, We often joke now, she says, you know, people often get three strikes are out. I think it might be one strike. You might be out. But she, she's said to me more than once that, you know, not being able to do that, you're a different person. And I think that's that there's something in that, that, you know, people that know people well, um, if they have that outlet that's not work, that's maybe not family, but does allow the body to detox, then people recognize that. Uh, my mum was one of the first to say, you're getting back on, are you? Like, got to make sure you get back on. Mm. So, yes, in short, I had a really supportive family. Um I've had some colleagues and others that have, you know, laughed and said, surely you're nuts. What are you doing? Um, even if you just, you know, tone down the risk, maybe get off the motorized version and do the pedal version. But you know, donning Lycra, you know, that that's not for me. Um, and look, there's risk in everything, right? That's that's the weird thing, whether, whether I'm riding a push bike and even doing, you know, I love going for a walk at lunch. So just a, an hour's walk, just to clear the air, clear the head. There's risks in that. There's, you know, thousands of uh, pedestrians that end up in hospital each and every year because mm-hmm. of transport-related accidents. So I think there is the view that regardless of what people do to help them through their life, what they do outside of work, there is a level of risk. And equally, choosing to do nothing, sitting on the couch, um, has risks as well, right? Like we could start to develop these horrendous chronic illnesses and, uh, you know, that's not for me either. So... Yeah, it, look, it's a weird one, but and probably a long answer to a question. But um, I'm very fortunate that I had a terrific support network that were quite encouraging of me to to get back out and do what I love doing. And are you fully recovered? Yes, is the short answer. I um, was fortunate that the um, uh, that the injuries sustained were ones that could you know recover quite well. Mm. It's just over two years now, and I've got pretty much full mobility back in that arm. He's lifting his arm. I can see it going up yes. and down. Well done. Casting, but but <laughs> it, now at this time of this recording, it's it's winter and usually that's the period where it starts to, you start to feel little things, um, like muscles just reminding you of, of the of the accident. But honestly, I'm, I'm 100%. I'm uh, lucky, you know, very lucky. Mm-hmm. I think if the bike had decided to land on me, then it would be, have been a very different story. Um, it was a complete write-off. Uh, I, I put down part of my luck, I suppose, to the fact that I do wear like full gear all the time. Um, there are some riders that I see in shorts, t-shirts, thongs, and I just I just question sanity at that point. Maybe because mm. I've come off, right? But mm. for me, it's um, it's a saying in, in our in our motorcycling is all the gear all the time, and that's definitely me. I do look like an astronaut when I you know jump on that bike. So um, I think that's uh, great. Yeah, it's risk, but I manage the risk, and maybe that to Jess is because of the work that we're in, right? It's it's life insurance, it's advice, it's risk management. Um, I acknowledge it, I understand it, and I accept it. So let's talk about the advice side of things. Mm. You were insured. Yes. You have <laughs> – good. Um, <laughs> you, you presumably have an advisor, had an advisor? Yes. Are you comfortable sharing what – you wanted that interaction to look like or what best practice could have looked like for you and what you needed and what your family needed at different points of the journey? 
Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's something I think that not only I learned from, but it sort of led me to create well a piece of work um, for Zurich, um, mm. the client connection. But really, it, it it allowed me time to step back and understand what was perhaps important to me from an advice relationship. Um, which regrettably for me wasn't a great experience. Mm. And I perhaps put that down to the fact that maybe maybe I didn't have the right uh, discussion maybe with a, an advisor early on about what was perhaps important for me if something was to go wrong. And I, I, I don't think there's any fault per se on, on the advisor in my particular situation, but I think that maybe there's that understanding of, well, surely this is someone who has a large support network, as you know, um, you know, for kids, wife who could provide me, you know, 24 hour day care, um, surgeon, GP, a fantastic employer in Zurich, um, you know, a, a supportive family. And mm. I think many advisors are probably listening, thinking, well, is there room for someone else? Like what, what potentially could an advisor bring to that table? But I think the easiest way to answer that would be, you know, imagine yourself in a situation where your life is effectively pause and everybody around you is just still on play. And while I did have support, um, phenomenal support, I felt there was something missing. Okay. And it was perhaps someone that could just, you know, check in from a, you know, from an insurance perspective, you know, are the claims payments coming through? Um, but even more than that, and I think this is where some, I'm noticing now some risk specialists are really differentiating themselves is getting themselves into a position where even if there's not a claim, right, it could be a non-claim, but something's happened. Mm. What those advisors are doing is they're stepping in and they're just being that sounding board for, are you okay? Like, uh, is money coming through? It could be from a workers' comp. It could be from a motor accident claim. It could be you know, some other mechanism. It could just be from their work. Um but, but more than that, for me, I think um, one of the things that I, I did and would highly recommend um, if for advisors are wanting to, to deal with this and understand some of the non-financial stuff they could do is I tracked my milestones. And it, 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 they, they were daily, they were weekly, but just allowing me to be, okay, well, I'm in a position now where I'm taking, you know, 35 medications a day. Um, I don't like that. I want to try and work on improving that. So... I would, um, I couldn't write clearly, but I used my phone and just documented verbally, um, you know, where I was at any particular point. And, you know, over the weeks um, and months, you know, I'd, I'd look back at it and say, wow, you know, I've really progressed well in that in that regard. You know, I've gone from, you know, 35 to 20 tablets a day. And that decreased, I think, by about week six or seven to, you know, a dozen or so. And I remember my surgeon, Jess, saying to me, Adam, don't be a hero take the medication i'm like well I, but i want to be on track i want to try and get myself off these if i can so it was these little things that i was doing even measuring how far up i could move my arm over time um i think week week seven i could finally lay flat so i could lie back in bed and just these little one percenters and maybe having someone to kind of check in and say hey you know and you know when last we spoke you said the money was coming in and you were doing well with your meds how's that progressing um how many days a week you need doing the physio um have you moved to the exercise physiologist yet what what's happening so i think in that regard those are probably things i would recommend um even positioning with with clients and and that i think in itself is a challenge because if you'd asked that of me before the accident it would have been a hard one to answer mm. what sort of support 
would I have wanted? Um, I don't know is the short answer, but maybe sharing these sorts of stories to say, well, look, these are the things that other customers, other people in the community are wanting in a time of crisis. Is that something which aligns to someone else's values? Um, so, yeah, my, my advice relationship, regrettably, wasn't fantastic. Um, um, the, the advice firm did contact me, um, mm-hmm. um, oddly enough, just because it was time for a quote-unquote review. Um, and this was about two weeks after the accident. Okay. Uh, it wasn't the advisor, but someone in the, in the firm that actually rang. So I said to them what had happened um, and that um, they got off the phone pretty quickly because they felt that I was, you know, they were maybe intruding, but... Um, I don't know if that information was fed back to the advisor. So, yeah, throughout the, the, the journey, I, I then actually didn't hear back from the advice firm at all. Um, so, yeah, look, as I say, not that I think there's any fault particularly on a particular um, advisor or firm, um, but maybe part of that was not really setting the precedent for perhaps what I would have expected as, as a client, as a customer in that regard. Adam, my brain has got so many questions for you. <laughs> Why hadn't you called your advisor yet? Were you still not in a good like? Were you intending on what was your intention at that point? No, <laughs> knowing that you were pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, look, I actually have family members also that are advisors, um, and I've chosen deliberately to deal with advisors outside the family. Mm. So I'm, I'm in a situation where I'm thinking of just simply changing advisors. Um, that's kind of where I've, I'm, I'm at, and partly why I haven't actually reached out to this particular planner. Oh, no, um, sorry. Let me re-ask you the question. Sure. When they called you for your review, which happened to be at the time of when this was all going down, was there a particular reason why you hadn't engaged them at that point or soon after presumably you knew you were going to have to go on claim? Yeah. I think for me it was more that there was a level of, I kind of knew what I was doing, so that was part of it. Um, and but even though I do know what I was doing, um, you know that that soon after the accident, I wasn't in the right headspace. So mm. it was probably it was probably about the time that I was actually going back to work, which was about three months after the accident, that I was kind of in a in a in a space where I was then thinking about well. Um, why hasn't the advisor run me back yet? Or uh, maybe I should reach out to them. Um, but there was so much that was going on in my life at the moment um, because also that was that time I was starting to go back to work was also when uh, the COVID lockdowns had happened. So I'd, I'd felt like I'd been tracking these milestones. I was on track to going back to work and then bang, you know, another roadblock had happened. And so I think there was a combination of things, Jess, that um, when I look back now, I think, well, maybe I should have just picked up the phone and given them a call. But I think part of it was that I I kind of felt like I knew what I was doing, but then there was a lot going on. And also that I think mentally I wasn't quite 100% on track. Mm. It brings up a very good conversation with staff members about almost for any advisor that's listening. I mean, I don't know what everyone does, but we do weekly meetings, almost bringing you up as a case study to any of our team members who – get on the phone and and who have interactions with members and making sure that they understand what you might have needed in that moment and how to ask you exploratory questions to find out what they could do to help and obviously make sure that that gets fed back to the advisor and there's some sort of thread or workflow or something started um, because that's a training issue. 
So yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a great point, Jess. The fact that if as a business you kind of regroup with your staff each week and just sort of talk through, you know, any issues, what's been happening, um, and the fact that you know someone like me or you know a client be oh like you you just reached out for review for a particular client and found out they've just you know been in a serious accident, multiple broken bones, they're back out of hospital, um, so. Yeah, hopefully someone in that team then might be able to say, well, gee, maybe we should, you know, do something, um, put them onto a bit of a, you know, a regular, um, even just a phone catch up to say, hey, what's happening? It's been two weeks now. Have you spoken with your physio? What's the latest update? Um, is the money coming through from whatever source it is? Um, but yeah, just just making sure that um, what is essentially um, maybe expected of that particular client if there is any expectation or maybe just asking the question, is there anything you need from us? Um, is it okay if we contact you, say, in the next couple of weeks? Just to kind of check in, um, reflect mm. in on some of like the milestones, for example, that I mentioned. Uh, because I think part of the, the work that we've done, um, actually at Zurich, is that while, you know, technical expertise from planners is, is important, what a lot of clients are really looking for is that kind of interpersonal piece, you know, what mm. the technical brings to their situation, this trust, this care, um, uh, honesty, that the, these sorts of things that I think really come to the fore when something does go wrong. Um, and, you know, that could mean just, you know, picking up the phone and just checking in, um, you know, a five-minute phone call. Um, and, I, look, I know many advisors we speak to say that they're time poor and, and we get that. But being able to maybe just have that opportunity just to sort of check in that um, I think can really help be a differentiator for, for advisors in business. Yeah, I mean, just thinking as, as you're speaking, there's an element of pragmatism here, like perhaps in your circumstance, which is a really interesting one. Like if, if you have a big business and you have someone who's potentially quite green or quite new who their sole job is to organize reviews or renewal conversations – and then they're sort of given this information. We know that when people have big life, things happen. As humans, really, we're a bit shit at knowing what to say. You know, someone gets sick, someone's injured, someone passes away that's close to someone. Like, we don't quite feel like we've got the coping mechanisms. And so we sort of turn and run the other way. And so, you know, I'm just thinking about my team. We've got young, green people. I'd like to think that they would absolutely let us know. But you know, I think it's an important case study to put to the team and say, what would we do here? How would we tackle this? What ideas do we have? I'm yeah. going to be fascinated to hear what my um, team say. But I, I, I really want to drill into this milestone piece because you've really piqued my interest here. So action item for me and probably everyone else is to go and have a, a fascinating discovery conversation with maybe the greenest person in the team and then see where you go from there, but um, on what to do if something like your situation happens. Um, and so thank you for sharing it. It doesn't sound like it was very pleasant, but I hope that it leads to lots of training and opportunities for us to all do better for people next time. Were you assigned, and tell me to um, uh, back off, <laughs> you know that you can tell me to back off if it's too much. Were you assigned a case manager of any sorts or a psych person to help you through your journey? Yeah. Um, so not a psych. 
uh, in my mm. particular case, uh, I don't think it was required, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, so, but just just thinking about a comment you made there, Jess, around you know engaging with your team. One of the things that I would recommend mm. in terms of positioning this is forget what you do for work. Forget that your advisors. Imagine this is someone in your family. Mm. What would what would you do in that situation? And again, look, there, there may be a multitude of answers. Um, some, like you mentioned, the word green. I love that. I think if you got maybe even like younger people as part of your business, they probably haven't experienced a, a traumatic event in their family, uh, or maybe they were maybe too young, for example. But um, what is it that they would do there if they found out that it was, you know, a sibling, a loved one? Um, what would they do? Would they want to contact them? Would they want to stand back, leave them alone? And then I, I would think of that then in the context of advice, because often clients do become, I know for many businesses, an extension almost of their family. You know, we hear advisors that are going to, you know, events with, with families and funerals. And and I think, therefore, that context of, of family becomes, I think, really important because there may be an expectation that many clients are thinking, well, we trust this advisor like we do someone in our family. Um, so would that then mean that the treatment should be any different? Yeah, I mean, the logical person in me says that you would have so much care and c- compassion and communication and all the things, but you've got to build robust systems and processes, which I want to come to in a second. Um, it's not how my brain works, but I've been thinking about it while you've been talking. Uh, why I asked you about the case manager pieces, having never been through something like you, what I've heard from other people though is, you can sometimes feel like no one's really helping with the ecosystem that you have to endure and and that it feels very disparate because you're working with so many different people and often they're quite busy. Like if your GP is meant to be the sort of person in the, in the nuclear and they have 10-minute consults, like yeah. it, it doesn't quite work. But to your point around having that person check in and sort of be that more holistic point. I'm trying to see if that was something that was available to you and wasn't done how you'd hoped, or do you actually just think that that's a a huge opportunity for advisors to step into that space? It's definitely a massive opportunity. I was kind of looking at, and and on reflection, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily case managers. It wasn't the GP. You know, everybody is time poor. Mm. And, you know, I- I felt myself using my physio actually um, for a lot of that, just you know, checking in, milestone interaction, uh, and my physio was phenomenal. Right, I'd spend, you know, I'd spend, gosh, um, an hour with them regularly, um, not daily, but certainly a few times a week, and that happened for weeks on end. So you kind of get to know these people, but like you said, you alluded to, you know, ten minutes with a GP. Um, Many physios, including mine, they would have like um, back to backs. So they would, you know, m- you know, manipulate, manage my muscles, my shoulder, and my back, um, and we'd chat, and then they'd move on, and I'd be doing sort of some stretching work, and they'd sort of be chatting with someone else. So I think everybody is time poor, um, including people around me. Like you know, my kids are at school, and my wife was doing things, you know, shopping or cleaning the house, or um, you know doing what needs to be done. And I think having somebody else there that knows your health, 
they know your wealth situation, they know your super, they know like really that I think is an amazing opportunity for advisors to just be that that extra voice to jump in to say what's happening, how's it going, um, and being almost that that center um, of influence in a way to really make sure that someone's on track. Um, and, and I say that because one of the, the things that still um, resonates with me is my physio said to me, you know, despite the physical um, work that's involved with physiotherapy, um, my physio, she said to me, look, 90% of what I do is what she does is mental. If people are not mentally ready to kind of go through that rehab, that recovery piece, then she can manage muscles as much as she wants. Um, and she shared with me examples of people who were in a, she said to me, a much worse, uh, sorry, uh, they were in a, a better situation from an accident perspective than I was, yet they're many years into rehabilitation and because they're not geared up in their mind, they're not on that road to recovery. Yet for me, I was... Um, um, three months off work, six months in physio, and then a little bit of exercise physiology after it. And uh, I was pretty much back to normal within 12 months. So, um, which she said to me was remarkable, but I was really wanting to get back to normality. Um, and many will laugh at this, but wanting to get back on the bike. Mm. And after six months, Jess, the, I had a replacement bike. Um, it's back in the garage now and I've done close to 10,000 Ks on this new bike. So, yeah, it's Good some might you. say, oh, my God, what are you doing? But it's it's my release. It's it's that thing that is good for my mental health uh, and mm. I love it. Yeah, I, I, that's why I asked you earlier about the psych piece because I think there has to be an acknowledgement that, you know, how your mind goes through the re- the journey is just as important, maybe if not more important given what you've said, than as to how your body goes through it. So, Let's help advisors who feel busy, who feel time poor, like the other medical professionals you were talking about, and don't currently have a really robust claims process. So they, like me, will say to you, we want to give everyone the time and space and attention that they need and want when there's a claim. But what do you think claims best practice looks like today? So I think a lot of it does come down to the sort of client that you're dealing with. If you're Mm. dealing with young professionals, if you're dealing with mature age clients, pre-retirees, there's likely to be a level of differentiation. But um, uh, I think I used the words earlier, first responder, I think is something which should apply across the board. So just being there as a first touch, if something was to happen, you want, I would certainly from the advisors we deal with and speak with, and those are risk specialists I like to engage with, they'll often say to us that, they tell their clients, we want to be the first responder if something goes wrong. Um, mm. You know, So you want that that spouse to pick up the phone and say, look, something's happened. I just want to let you know. And that can then give, I think, the advice firm time to say, okay, so let's just you know map out a bit of a, a process here. If it's a, uh, and look, insurers, BDMs can actually help in this regard, right? If it's a particular, a fracture, you know, if it's a broken arm, then, you know, insurers, the industry, we kind of know what that is likely to look like from a time off work piece. So, you know, maybe touching base with that client and say, well, look, you know, experience shows that you should expect, you know, X amount of weeks or X amount of months off. Um, and then even just being proactive with that client to say, what is it that that um, you'd like from us over this particular period? You know, other clients like you, um, 
could expect, and it might be um, just checking in financially. It could be um, making sure if there is an opportunity to claim what order that is. Is it through super? Is it outside of super? Is it through you know an IP product? Um, you know, it, it could be th- you know, that element. Um, mm. It might even just be. Um, uh, you know, a network of professionals that they may want to liaise with. Um, so for me, for example, I never had a physio before. Um, so the advisor may know of a physio that works locally, someone their clients have used and, and would recommend. Um, so just kind of being that sort of source of truth and, and um, direction in a way, uh, I think would be, would be invaluable. Yeah. It's almost like there's two streams at play here. There's the financial stuff because there is a lot to that, all the claim forms and the follow-ups and the case management liaison and all of that stuff, which yeah. I think there could be an element of um, process wrapped around so that there's at least a skeleton for what a claim could look like and, of course, be um, – and I'm talking about claims where a person has survived whatever's happened. Um, yes, But then listening to this milestone piece, it's like we need a whole different tract. And I think that asking permission is such an important point Mm. of can we do this? Is this helpful? Is this what you need? Um, And actually getting them on board to agree to whatever it is and then having that as sort of an element that sits next to and in tandem is something I've never really – thought about and yet it makes so very much sense yeah i'm sure there's going to be some clients that are going to be just like look leave me alone i'm, mm. I'm you know i'm i'm happy to, to contact you as an advisor in you know two months three months six months but there's likely to be others who perhaps were like me that just wanted to to have a a phone call um you know i've known my advisor for years so just you know, it's like when you're dealing with clients over a long period, they do become maybe not friends, but um, certainly closer than, you know, some other clients that you might deal with, right? Mm. Um, and just that regular check-in would be, um, well, certainly for me, would have been would have been fantastic. And uh, But for other clients, you're right. They're, they're, I think asking that permission just so that there's that, not the ground rules, but you're sort of seeking insight into what their expectations are. Mm. We've talked a lot of t- uh, today about what you needed. What did your family need that an advisor could have helped with during this period as well? That's a, a good question. Uh, I think further support would have been fantastic. I, I know, uh, look, uh, speaking honestly, I was fortunate. Um, so one of the things that my employer did um, actually, and we didn't know this, but literally at the front door um, within a week, there was like a box of food. Um, and, uh, we were like, wow, that was like, some might think that's a bit weird, like a box of food, but these were pre-prepared meals. Um, and they were decent size, like family size meals. So I remember my wife kind of got upset, um, in a good way because she's like, well, I don't now, I don't need to think about cooking now. Cause I've got, you know, here's a meal here and a meal there. I don't even know what company it was just that, um, it had a name of one of our, um, one of our big bosses at Zurich and, um, as a bit of a, just kind of thinking of you during this time. And that meant so much, even like, it's like what over two years now, and it's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is mm. some of those little things about, um, uh, and like often family does that, right. They'll just rock up with, here's a, here's a dish of food that we wanted to make for you. It just, it, it's something you don't have to think about. Yeah. 
So yeah, not that I'm suggesting advisors suddenly reach out to um, you know food companies and start giving food, but I, I think those little things that people themselves may not think about, whether it's you know here's a voucher for a local bloke to come and mow your lawns for a week, um, you know you know oh I know your wife enjoys whatever it is gardening or you know here's a little voucher for it just uh, or a Bunnings voucher I don't know but something that may be a line something out of the ordinary it's that it's almost like that surprise and delight despite mm. the fact that something significant has happened. Mm. Um, and I think it really does show that people do genuinely care. I think that's um, a very, very, very fascinating tip. Um, I've had two claims since we started. The first, <laughs> It's not funny. The first one was when Glenn and I both decided to take leave over Christmas of the first year of us oh, being no. on leave. And so both of us were in Europe and we were like, oh, and it was only the two of us in the business. And Glenn, it was Glenn's client, and I know that he basically just called him almost every week just to be like, what's going on? How are you? What can we do? And I know that the the client really, really valued that. But I think being able to bring some structure and some almost house rules into what we think about just as businesses grow or get more complicated, you just want to make sure that nothing falls through the the cracks. So, yeah, you've given me lots and lots of food for thought. Do you have any final thoughts, ideas before I go into rapid fire questions for you. Um, I think some of the big takeouts for me is like, don't assume that someone isn't going to want to do that thing anymore and, and don't not support them through that journey and, and think about how you can give them a support that is around milestones. And uh, that's fascinating. And so in line with what we do from a goals perspective, it's just through a different lens. Um, but do you have any other s- sort of, things that we should consider from your side? Yeah, it really is an extension, I think, of that point you made. I think it's trying to remember that while advice does think from the head, it's shifting that in certain times to think from the heart um, or that visceral using the gut instinct approach. Sometimes you've kind of got to leave rational and reasoning to one side and just mm. sort of check in. Mm. Um, so that that's certainly one of the things I would I would recommend uh, advisors do, which I know many advisors do instinctively in some cases, but I think really dialing that up at a time of, of claim or non-claim, depending on the situation, mm. uh, would be would be huge. Right. Are you ready for, I could go on all day, but we're not allowed to. Um, Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yeah, hit me. You've talked about this for the last, I don't know how long we've been chatting, but let's just formally ask you, what is one thing, Adam, that you do to look after your mental health? I do love jumping on the back of my my Triumph 900cc parallel twin. Um, So yeah, motorcycle enthusiast. Mm. A bit more cautious these days, but um, still love, love getting on and- um, yeah, just clearing the head. What's a piece of advice that you would give to young Adam? I would say go with your gut instinct. I think mm. quite often something happens in life that I'll often deliberate on. I'm a procrastinator, Jess, and um, but I'm a, I believe in karma, and I think sometimes things pop up in life for a reason, and uh, if it feels right. I'd say nine times out of 10, it's the right decision. So mm. if I was chatting to my younger self now, it would be when opportunities do come up, just grab it with both hands. Love that. Uh, what's something that's big on your bucket list that you haven't ticked off yet? Something on my bucket list. Uh, look, I've done a few hair raising things like um, skydiving and obviously motorcycle riding. So mm. that sort of extreme side of things. Um, I've never bungee jumped. 
I don't know if that's necessarily on a, on a bucket list, um, mm. but something like um, parasailing, I think, would be something I'd love to do. Is that where you like run off a cliff with a parachute on your back? Uh, it might be, but what I'm thinking is where you're like on a beach and you run along the beach, and there's like a boat in the water, and then when the the boat takes off, mm. and then up you go. So, and there's yeah, a string sure. attached. Yes, ideally. Yeah, I'm far more into that one. Okay, okay. We'll allow it. On this occasion, Adam, we'll allow it. <laughs> You're allowed to have whatever you want on your bucket list. Um, and do you have a book that I should read as part of my fake book club? Look, I actually got a gift from my daughter um, recently, and uh, the book is called Devoted uh, by Dean Kuntz. It uh, was a really good read if you like a bit of um, – I like a bit of a scare factor, a bit of thrill. Um, so it's not for the faint-hearted, but yeah, it was a book I enjoyed called De- Devoted. Um, nothing to do with work, but no, that's um, good. That's fine. Yeah. We need a balance in life. Um, thank you. I've already worked out that you like a thrill factor, so that's coming out in multiple areas of your life. Bless you, uh, Adam. How can people learn more about the good work that you do? Because you've created a whole raft of things off the back of this pretty significant event, right? Yeah, we have. So um, we've called it the Client Connection, but there's a series of white papers that mm. we published. One is Lessons in Leisure. So it's effectively the data of what people are doing, um, including things like motorcycling. And um, But then what's the advice element? So it's what are the mental health benefits? What are the risks involved? And we've even developed some tools to help advisors that um, want to know a little bit more and maybe you know, for those clients that are reaching out saying, oh, I wouldn't mind trying, you know, golf or soccer, but at my age, you know, are others doing it? The short answer is yes, we can provide you with that those insights to how many others are doing it, what risks are involved, the rate of hospitalizations, if whether it's low, medium, high risk. Um, and there's some other white papers to just to enable advisors to maybe look at how to implement change in the business if they want to. Mm. And it doesn't need to be massive change. You can just be really small steps. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I'm very happy to hear that you've made a remarkable recovery. I'm frustrated for you that you went through a pretty lonely advice journey um, as as you were getting better. Uh, but as I say, I think in a weird silver lining way, you know, the fact that you're here talking about it and helping us learn how we can be better and the fact that you've developed a whole heap of tools off the back of it is a beautiful way to um, round that out. So, Adam, I just want to say an enormous thank you for sharing a very private story um, with our XY community. It's my pleasure, Jess. Thank you for the invitation. It's uh, I've had a great time chatting to you. Woo-hoo. 